0: Well Good morning on this uh, very chilly cold, dark morning here in the western Cape uh, and welcome from Cross Central Church. We know winter is upon us when the sun comes up much later uh, and when even the roosters are fast asleep uh, at six o 'clock in the morning uh, and i 'm up early this morning just to just to think through this message I want to share with you today uh, we 're taking a little bit of a break from uh, our, our series through Romans uh, and we at cross Central Church are doing. One or two just topical sermons where we're looking at different subjects, uh, different topics uh, until we begin a, a new series in the next couple of weeks. And so maybe this morning I want to ask you, are you ready for some good news? That's uh, what I want to think through a little bit this morning. Uh, the day of good news. Are you, are you ready for some good news? You know, good news comes in many different shapes and forms. It comes at diff- many different moments in our lives. Uh, last night my soccer team won... Uh, the europa champions league and so become the champions of europe and it's great news it's wonderful news and it had me celebrating Uh, but like most good news it's fleeting and it's momentary you know good news brings hope in sometimes in the difficult circumstances good news brings joy to the heart it brings a smile to the face but most good news really just offers temporary relief most good news just uh, offers temp- temporary satisfaction. And um, the one thing we we need to understand is that our, our hearts love good news. And you and I love good news. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, with in light of what we've just said about good news, why does the Bible refer to the gospel, the teaching and the announcement about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as good news? Uh, why would it be called the Evangelion or the the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, and in fact, this little phrase appears about 130 ta- three times in the Bible. And what makes it such great news, such so, such profound news, such good news? I mean, do you believe that the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ this morning is in fact good news? And it's not just light and momentary good news. It's not good news that is just temporary. It's good news that changes our eternal destiny. It's such pronounced news, profound news, that it's the most important announcement that we will ever hear. It's the most treasured, profound announcement that we will ever have the privilege of of hearing and believing. And so the Bible presents us with this idea that the good news of Jesus Christ uh, is so profound that it will radically change our lives and our eternity forever. In fact, it's the only good news that reaches beyond the grave and changes our eternal future, our eternal destiny, that transforms eternity from a place of judgment to a place of hope and reconciliation and togetherness with God the Father. And yet it's so simple that even uh, a child can understand it. See, the good news, the good news. um, And one of the few places that we we find this this little word used the good news outside of the prophets and the new testament is found in second kings chapter 7 so this word good news is found very very seldom outside the the prophets and 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 the new testament and second kings chapter 7 provides us a story where this 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 announcement of good news is used and it's a crazy, amazing story um, that I've been reflecting on. I'd love to share with you this morning. It's, it's a radical story. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird story, but yet such a profound story. And <clears throat> In fact, the story provides us with a wonderful Old Testament picture of the gospel. Old Testament picture of why the good news is in fact such good news. In, in fact, it's one of the best reminders to us of why... The announcement about Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, is so profound and so life-changing. And I hope that it will be a reminder and encouragement to you again this morning. And so where do we start? Well, where do we start with the good news or the bad news in the story? Well, we start with the bad news. So if, if you open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to be starting in verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 24. And our story this morning starts with some pretty bad news and a pretty desperate situation. So I'm going to read for us from 2 uh, uh, Kings chapter 6, verse 24. So afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 she- shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's, a doves' dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, O Lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor from the winepress? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This, this woman said to me, give, your, give me your son, that we may eat him today. And we will eat your son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to give your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, um, he, he had sackcloth beneath his body. And he said, May God do to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders this day and here we are in the story as it begins in this crazy place Uh, we encounter a little bit of history as the story unfolds so Solomon has died the nation Israel has been divided into the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes and there's a a repeated cycle been happening in the nation of bad kings and good kings and in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 7, as it unfolds, within the twelfth year of the reign of King Joram, and we find that out in chapter 3 verse 1. And so the bad kings, he was such a bad king, he was such a terrible king, that kings also only refers to him as the king of Israel. And so Israel had fallen into a desperate situation of idol worship. They turned from the Lord under Joram's reign. They had rejected God. They had abandoned God and were were deeply um, captured by idol worship. And the result was that God's judgment burns against Israel. And the enemies of God begin to march and advance onto the city of Samaria. And so Ben-Hadad, the king of, of Aram, which is modern day Syria, he marched on the city of Samaria and he surrounded and he laid siege to it. Uh, a common tactic to destroy the enemy. And so as we get to chapter 6, the little section that was just read to us, we find the city is besieged and desperate in a desperate situation. You can see the price of food has, has gone through the roof because there was nothing going in and nothing going out. A donkey's head, uh, which is normally just tossed away, was now being sold for a massive amount of money. Dove's dung being sold to eat. So the city is in a desperate, desperate, crazy situation. And one of the many curses mentioned in Deuteronomy 28 is that they will become under the judgment of God if you give yourself to idol worship and and, uh, a warning to the nation of abandoning God. And yet here we find the city surrounded under God's judgment, under siege and desperate, desperate situation. And interesting that we'll notice the king's response. The king is... Furious, The king is angry. The king is desperate. And what does the king do? Like so many, when they are facing hard times, when they're facing suffering and, and, and angry, he becomes angry with God. And so he demands that Elisha, who was then the prophet of God within the city, he demands that his head be taken off his shoulders. And then chapter, chapter 6, verse 32, we read, as the story continues, Elisha was sitting in his house. And the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer is sent to take off my head? Look, when a messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. And suddenly, is it not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with him, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait? For the lord any longer and so you can see the response of the king the response of the king needs to wants to destroy the man of god the voice of god in the midst of his people and isn't it uh, this this picture this terrible picture of a city under siege and facing such depravity isn't it a a beautiful picture of 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 our world today see this picture of a city handed over to its idolatry and sin Uh, Is a picture of our world today that's been handed over to its sin in many ways. And we saw that in Romans chapter 1, that God is handing people over to their depravity in many circumstances. You see, when we abandon God and the worship of God, it can only be disastrous and leads to total depravity. A mother consuming her son, cannibalism, and surrounded by powerful enemies, the city is facing a disaster. Surrounded by powerful enemies that hold them in their power and desperately in need of rescue. This is the city of Samaria in the, in the story. And that is a picture of you and I, the picture of our world today. We are living in rebellion against God. Enslaved by a powerful enemy of sin and death. And it leads to incredible acts of depravity. What we see around us in our world today is our world under siege held in the grip of sin. In Romans chapter 1, Paul reminds us of the depravity that sets into the human heart when we abandon the truth and exchange the worship of God uh, and give our lives over to the futility of our own idolatry and wisdom. In verse 21 of Romans chapter 1, 21 to 25, Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of Samaria? It's exactly what was happening in the city but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and and birds, and animals, and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. You see, when we abandon the worship of God, when we abandon God, we give ourselves over to rebellion and depravity. Every kind of every kind of of immorality, every kind of sin and depravity, and notice the city instead of. And the king, instead of recognizing and acknowledging sin and falling down in repentance, instead of changing their heart and calling on God, what does the king do? What does the servant do? Well, they want to take Elisha's life. They want to take his head off his shoulders. They get angry with God. They get angry with the messenger of God. And you see the servant's words, why should we wait on God any longer? And I see the same anger in the world today. I see the same accusations against God. I hear the same accusations of God against God time and time again in the hearts of many people. You see the depravity depravity and the sadness of uh, our, our rebellion means many become depraved and angry at God. in Ephesians chapter two, verse four we read You were dead in your sins and trespasses which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see a city depraved, caught up in its idolatry, being judged and now angry at God. Angry at God. So instead of repenting, they want blood. They want the blood of the voice of God in their midst. They want to get rid of the voice of God because their suffering is being blamed on God. See, the, the city of Samaria is in a desperate situation. And you know what? The world we live in is in a desperate situation. Angry at God, shaking its fist at heaven uh, and, and desperately in need of some good news. And then interesting in the story, the word of the Lord comes to the king. So in the midst of this depravity, in the midst of the siege, in the midst of the horrors of being under siege, the word of the Lord comes to the king. God still speaks. God says something. God speaks into this situation. And so Elisha brings a word of hope. And did you know this in verse 7, verse 1? But Elisha says, hear the word of the Lord. See, God has not abandoned his people. God has not abandoned His people even though they're shaking their fist at heaven, but rather what does he speak? He speaks through Elisha. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a sear of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So what Elisha is basically saying, tomorrow there's going to be food in the city again. Tomorrow food is going to return to its normal price because there's going to be an abundance of food. Basically, the, tomorrow the siege is going to be over. Things are going to return to normal. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not, not eat of it. And so you see the captain objecting, the captain saying, well, even if God could do this, if God could cut open windows in heaven, how could this possibly even happen? How could this even be? You see the, 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 the servant on whom the king is leaning, king obviously weakened as well by, by hunger, weakened by the circumstances. And the servant just remocks and says, how can this be? Not even God can do it. Uh, the NIV says, look, even the Lord, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this even ha- happen? And that is Elisha's response. You will see it with your own eyes. See, God is going to do something. But he says to the servant specifically, but you, you, O servant, you are not going to eat of it. You are not going to see and taste of that promise. You see, the servant's unbelief was going to be held against him. His unbelieving heart would not experience the hope that Elisha was promising. And see, while the, the cities and the king is shaking its fisted heaven, God is working. God is at work. And God has spoken. God announces that he's about to do something. And he announces that he's going to restore and he's going to change. And it's going to be instant. See, even in the depravity of our world around us, we need to realize that God has spoken. God has promised. God has promised that He's going to rescue us from sin and death. God has promised that He's going to rescue us from the depravity and the suffering of this world, hasn't He? God has spoken. But how often don't we as the servants... When we hear the word of the Lord in the midst of our suffering, when we hear God's promise, when we read scripture, how often don't we, like, like the servant, just, just mock and, and, and question and doubt? Could this even happen? Could this even be? And then, amazing thing in our story, we see the salvation of the Lord unfolding. We see the great rescue of God unfolding in this desperate circumstances. As God's people are suffering, we see God is moving. And notice how God moves. God moves in a very unique, different, crazy way. And he uses some really, really crazy messages. The outcasts, the rejects of the city. We see that in verse 3, don't we? Verse 3 to 8, as our story continues to unfold. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we stay... We'll go into the city. The famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. Let's go over to the enemy. And if they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. see, these lepers had nothing to lose. Rejected outcasts for the city had nothing to lose. So at dusk, they got up in verse 5 and went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys. They left it their camp as it was and they ran for their lives. And the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. And entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver and gold and clothes. And went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent. And took some things from it and hid it also. Isn't it amazing? Here yeah, these four lepers. have with nothing to do. Cast, uh, nothing to lose. Cast out of the city. This very city that they were sitting next to. The walls they were sitting next to. had Cast them out. Rejected them because of their, their leprosy. And what did they do? What do they do? Well, they go over to the enemy to see and to surrender because they're going to die anyway. They've got nothing to lose. Their situation was the most desperate of all. And the good news is crazy, isn't it? When they arrive, when they arrive at the enemy's camp, the enemy has fled because the Lord has already provided solution. You see, God has already moved in in, in salvation. God has already moved to rescue his people. Even as Elisha was speaking, God had moved in this desperate circumstance and brought salvation. And these lepers were the very first to experience the Lord's salvation. These outcasts, these rejects of society, the lowest of the low, first experienced the Lord's salvation. And while the city and the king are still shaking their fist at heaven, God has moved in rescue. Not because the city deserved it. Not because they'd earned it. You see it from the attitude of the king and the city. The anger at God. But not even because they deserved it. But in fulfillment of his word and his promise. Spoken through Elisha. In fulfillment of his purpose. His promise. God moves in grace towards the city. This idolatrous city, depraved, God moves in grace towards them, unmerited favor. And that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, while we were still like the city of Samaria, raising our fist to heaven, shaking our fist at God, while we were still angry and depraved, God, because of his love and his promise, demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, he sends Jesus Christ to die for us. God moves. God moves in rescue. See, God has moved already folk in salvation. Here we have a city shaking their fist at heaven, still angry, depraved, just upset with God and yet God has already destroyed the enemy. God has defeated the enemy. You see, isn't this a picture of our world today? God's salvation, God's rescue, God's solution, uh, it's already happened. It happened just over 2,000 years ago and yet the world continues in their depravity and sin, totally ignorant of the fact that God Has moved. And it's only the broken, it's the the lowest of the low in society, the lepers, the outcasts that go and taste and see that the Lord is good. See, I wonder this morning is the city a picture of you this morning? Or are the lepers a picture of you this morning? Have you tasted and seen that God is good, that God has moved in salvation, that God's good news of rescue? Has already happened. God has done something supernatural in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the lepers are going from tent to tent. You can imagine discovering the food and the gold, the riches of the enemy. The enemy that has been destroyed. They now plunder the enemy's camp, don't they? And they're enjoying it and they're burying and hiding the treasure. You can imagine the joy. You can imagine just this amazing moment in these lepers' lives. No longer are they outcasts rejected on the edge of the city with nothing, suffering. But now they taste the riches of God's victory, the bounty of God's rescue. I wonder this morning, have you tasted the bounty of God's glory, God's wonder, God's salvation, God's rescue in Jesus? Or are you still like the mothers eating each other's children, living in your depravity? Shaking your fist at God like the king. Angry with him, upset with him because of your circumstances, because of what he's done. Because of his, his judgment upon the world. And you look at the world and you get angry with God. Or have you seen and realized and acknowledged that God supernaturally has already destroyed the grip of death, the grip of sin. And God has moved in salvation. And then something amazing happens in our story, doesn't it? Yeah, these, these outcasts, these men enjoying the bounty of God's, uh, God's grace and God's rescue. In verse 9, realize something. And this is the most amazing part of the story. They, then they say to each other in verse 9, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news. See, there's that little, little word. This is the day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves if we wait until daylight punishment will overtake us let's go at once and report this to the royal palace so they went and called out the city to the city gatekeepers they call out to these city gatekeepers and tell them god has moved god has moved We went into the Aramean camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone. Only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents just, just left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. See, one of the great, the second greatest miracle in the story is that the gatekeepers actually believe these lepers. Yeah, these outcasts, these, these men that have been rejected by the very city they're returning to. The men that have been treated and uh, badly and, and ushered out of the camp as exiles and as strangers and as, as, as a problem to the city, rejected by the very city that they want to bring good news to. And the fact that that the gate guards even believe their announcement. Can you imagine? This is a crazy announcement, isn't it? How can the enemy suddenly overnight just have disappeared? Who could have chased them? Why would they have left? You, You can imagine the gate guards' minds must have been racing. But don't you love the heart of the lepers? This is good news. It's overwhelmingly good news for a city that is suffering. A city that is depraved. A city that is trapped and caught up in its idolatry. This good news for the lepers was so overwhelming. You see, what we are doing is not right. We've got good news. We've got great news. We've got salvation. It has to be shared. Why are we keeping it to ourselves? Why are we keeping it to ourselves? And and so they run back to the very people that had hated them. The very people that had despised them and rejected them. Four lepers, outcasts. See, isn't it amazing that God uses the foolish things of the world? God uses the foolish things of the world to bring the good news. He used the outcasts, the rejects, those that the, the city, that the, the world often takes a laugh at or mocks at. And God uses them, doesn't He? And isn't this exactly what Paul reminds us about the treasure that's found in jars of clay? In 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, chapter 1 verse 26 to 29, Paul writes, for consider your calling, brothers. He writes a believing church of the believers in Corinth. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See God uses the lowly things of the world to announce the good news. Even though the nature of Jesus salvation, the good news comes in the form of a humble carpenter's son. Born to Mary and Joseph. Born in a, in a stable. That's the good news of salvation. That's the good news of a rescue. That's the good news of the power of God on display. And it's crazy, isn't it? Because that's not how we expect a king to come and save his people. The good news is seen in a broken body hanging on the cross. The good news is seen in a, in a humble Jewish man hanging on the cross amongst two criminals. Beaten, broken, broken. Bleeding, dying, crying out, thirsty. And yet that is the power of God on display. See, God uses what is weak to shame the the strong. What is foolish to shame the wisdom of the world. So that no one can boast. And here God uses four lepers. Four lepers to take the good news back to a city. Trapped, besieged in the grip of a powerful enemy. And these four lepers go and call out to the city. I love that little word, announce. They go and proclaim. They go and declare to the gate guards. The good news, God has rescued. God has moved. And isn't that exactly what you and I are called to do? You and I are called like those four lepers, not to hold this good news to ourselves if we are saved. If you have believed in Jesus Christ this morning, if you are a believer, you have no right to hold this good news to yourself. And like these lepers, we need to be saying to ourselves as the church, we need to be looking around that and saying to ourselves, this, well, this is not right, folk. This is not right, brothers and sisters, to be gathered together on Sunday, to be gathered together as a church and loving Jesus, enjoying the bounty of his salvation, enjoying the proclamation of the good news while the world out there is dying suffering in its depravity you see it's not right we need to go and share it we need to go and take this good news because if the the city does not hear the good news if the gatekeepers of our world do not hear the good news they will continue to live and die and starve and be depraved See, politics is not going to change our world, folk. Science is not going to change our world. No human activity is going to change the heart of humankind or change and bring an end to the depravity of man. There is only one announcement. There is only one announcement that is going to bring change, that is going to see our world transformed forever. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God has moved in rescue. It's a supernatural rescue. See, the army of, of the Aramaeans were, were thrown into confusion. God does it in such a supernatural, abnormal way. It wasn't through a battle. It wasn't through a great victory. It was simply God making a noise. And the greatest powerful army of the time fled in disarray. See, the good news this morning is that God does not come and one a great victory, a battle on a battlefield somewhere. No, it's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through the broken body of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is foolishness to the city at the moment. That is is absolutely foolishness to many, many powerful people, many people who are looking for answers. And yet that is where God's victory rests. In those simple words, it is finished. God's victory over the enemy is won. The enemy has been defeated. You no longer have to live under the grip of sin and, and in the grip of death. No, we can have eternal life. We can have the promise of reconciliation with God the Father. And folk, if you are saved this morning, you have an obligation to run back into the city, to a city that is suffering, into a desperate circumstance, circumstance, and to announce the good news. The old, this Old Testament picture I really believe of these four lepers returning to the city that had rejected them, that had cast them out, that had treated them so badly that it hated on them. And yet they love the people of the city. They return back to the city and announce the good news. Reminds me of Romans chapter 10 verse 14 to 15 where Paul asks the question, how then will they call on him who they not believed? And how are they to believe in the one if they've not heard? and how are they to hear? How are they to hear when someone hasn't preached to them? And how are they to preach unless somebody is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are these leprous feet that bring good news to the city? How beautiful are these broken, scarred, messed-up individuals? that bring the good news to the city. See, the folk, these lepers had beautiful feet because they carried the astounding news of the Lord's great rescue, the Lord's intervention. Oh, folk, may we be like these lepers with a desire to see the depravity of the world answered by the only solution, the only lasting good news that will change the human heart, and that is the gospel now Notice the response to the announcement in verses 12 to 16. The king got up in night and said to the officer, I will tell you you that the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving. So they've left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking they will surely come out. And then we will take them alive and get into the city. You see, the king is skeptical. The king is cynical. The king is still doubting this. And this is a plan. This is a plot. See, there's a conspiracy theory that the king has in his mind. This can't be true. It's a trap. But notice one of the officers, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. There's only five horses left in the city. Their plight will be like that of the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all of these Israelites who are doomed. Doomed. So in other words, the, the officer has such wisdom. He says, man, we're going to die anyway. These, these guys are going to die anyway. Send them out to the enemy. If the enemy are going uh, are, are to uh, trap them and kill them, they're going to die anyway. So let, we've got nothing to lose. Let us send them to find out what has happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses. And the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan. They found the whole road strewn, strewn with the clothing and equipment of the Arameans and thrown away in the, headlight, in the headlong flight. This army was running scared. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Isn't it amazing? The king responds with skepticism, with doubt, with, uh, with questions. And so the good news, this great announcement, will not always be embraced and met with great joy. Often in our world, those amongst those who are depraved and suffering, the only solution is often doubted. The only solution to the problem of the human heart is questioned. So, so, folk, don't expect the world just to embrace the good news. Don't expect people just to respond to the gospel left, right and center. No, we will have skepticism. We will have doubt. People will be asking questions. But that doesn't change the truth of the good news, is it? The good news is true because it's happened. The, the, the Arameans, the army had fled. The truth of the, the leper's announcement was so true. But the king still had to discover that. The armies had to discover that. And so far, as we take the gospel into the world, we are going to get many that are going to be skeptical. We're going to meet many that are asking questions. But you're going to get many that, whose questions are actually seeking the truth. You see, the, the officer wants to know says, we've got nothing to lose. Let's check it out. And so, folk, we need to be constantly announcing the good news. Because there are going to be seekers out there. There are going to be those who seem distant at the moment, seem cynical and questioning. But the more we speak the good news, the more they investigate, the more they are convinced, the more their hearts are changed through the working of the Holy Spirit. See, what God had promised in the story through His promise, prophet, His word was true. What Elisha had prophesied was true. His promises, God's promises are sure. And we need to be so convinced of the truth that we are bringing. You need to be so convinced of the truth of the good news this morning. To really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. See you as yourself need to be investigating and discovering and if you are sitting listening to this message and you are not convinced of the gospel this morning well you need to go and find out you need to go and ask yourself the questions you need to go and read the bible you need to go and think it through and do what you need to do but come to a knowledge of the truth that God has moved in rescue and so as God had promised there was abundance of food and regular prices. Did you see that in verse 16? God had rescued his people. Then the people went out. And plundered the camp of the Arameans. So, so they went out. And they began to plunder. They began to collect the food. So exactly what Elisha had prophesied. So a sayer of flour sold for a shekel. And two sayers of barley sold for a shekel. As the Lord had promise see god 's promise is true, folks, salvation is true, life is true, life in Jesus is true, and in answer to the the officer 's question, could this happen? even if the Lord opened the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? Well, God has opened the floodgates of heaven, and yes, it can happen because salvation is possible. Remember the disciples' question when the rich young man walked away and rejected Jesus, and the disciples were horrified and said to jesus well Who can be saved? And Jesus' response is, Who can be saved? Well, things that are impossible with God, with man, are possible with God. See, folks, salvation is possible with God. But the saddest part of the story is found in verse 17 to 19, isn't it? It's the unbelief of the captain or the the messenger of, of verse 1. You see, what was the prophecy of Elijah? He says, yes, things are going to change. God is going to move. But what was his words to the captain? You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And notice what happens in verse 17. Now the king had put the officer on whose army, army leaned in charge of the gate. The very guy who'd, who challenged and said, could this happen? And the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. You see, he saw, he saw the people running out and plundering the camp, but he died because he was trampled as people rushed to go and plunder the camp of the enemy. Just as the man of God had foretold when the king that came down to his, happen, uh, to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, About this time tomorrow a sea of flour will be sold for a shekel, shekel and two sails of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And that is exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. He spoke, isn't us the contrasting responses to this good news? The lepers tasting the, of the goodness and sharing it. The city and those who believed the message, the king who believed the message, are blessed and experienced the joy and the wonder or, and the relief from, from the great suffering and the great disaster and that had struck them. They experienced the goodness of God, but the captain had not. The unbelieving captain who failed to believe that God could rescue his people never tasted of the Lord's goodness. And that reminds me of the New Testament parable told by Jesus of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 from verse 31. See, the rich man had everything he wanted here on planet Earth, but he failed to believe. He had a hardened heart, refused to believe. Lazarus, who had nothing, believed and experienced blessing in eternity. See, the rich man couldn't cross over and warn anybody. Remember in the parable, he cries out to Abraham and says, Let me just go back and warn people. Let me just go back and tell them. But it was too late. It was too late. It was too late for him and for the captain. Listen to those rich man's words as he speaks to, to Abraham. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for my five brothers, so that they may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You see, folk, we are the the, the voice of God. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus while the time is still here. We, like the lepers, have been entrusted with this great announcement with the word of God. Uh, The world has the Bible. The world has God's word. And we need to be taking it. See, for the rich man to return and warn his family, it was too late. The time is now for us to be warning and, and to be encouraging and to be calling out to the world and speaking of God's rescue. Folk, that is the urgency that we have. We need to have the same urgency and conviction as those four lepers. Because there's going to come a time when it's too late. For the captain at the gate, it was too late. See, folk, if people do not hear, if people do not hear this great news, the the good news of all good news, there lies in store for them an eternal destiny of, destiny of, of suffering and judgment. For the captain who had suffered under the siege of Samaria, He entered an eternity where the suffering would simply continue forever. See, folk, we have the answer. We have the solution to the depravity of our world. We have the answer that brings rest and joy. That brings peace that passes all understanding. We have the answer that speaks to the heart. The answer that reconciles us with God the Father. We have the answer that brings the abundance of heaven. We have the answer that turns us from sinners and slaves to sin and death into children of God that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We have the answer that secures for us an eternal destiny that cannot be compared to anything else in this world. And we need to live as the church with the urgency and the weight of the depravity of the world on our shoulders. We need to be getting out there and speaking and living And sharing that the good news may come to our city. I love the words of those sleppers. We are not doing right. This is the day of good news. Folk, this today is the day of good news. While we are alive, this is the day of good news. If we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once. Oh, folk, may that be our prayer this morning. May that be our prayer this morning. That if daylight comes, punishment's going to over. Let's go at once. Let's take this good news to a city that is facing desperate and depraved times. To people that need hope. And yes, the response is not going to be instant in some cases. The response is going to be skepticism and doubts and sometimes judgment. And sometimes we will be rejected. But folk, let us not stop announcing Stop speaking. Let us not stop bringing this great news to the world. And why is the good news called the good news? Well, it is because it's the offer of eternal hope, the art of offer of eternal rest and eternal rescue. And it's an end to striving and achieving, it's an end to suffering. It's a promise that one day we will live in a world that is perfect without tears, without suffering, without pain, without anxiety. See, folk, this is the hope of the gospel. It's far greater news than just my soccer team winning a trophy. This is far greater news. This is the best news that people will ever hear. And don't, uh, don't you find this little story in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, such a, a marvelous story, a, such a beautiful picture. The depravity of our world. The hatred of our world to God, rejecting the church and yet the church tasting and seeing that God is good. Tasting of Jesus and obligated, r- returning to the world that hates and has rejected them. Returning with an announcement and announcing the great news. And those who believe come and taste and see. See, the enemy has been defeated. Death no longer holds, lays hold and lays siege to our hearts. We have been saved We have been rescued. Folk, may we have beautiful feet this morning, this week, this month, this year. And may we get into a world that desperately needs the wonderful news of rescue through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful Old Testament story. A reminder of why the good news is such good news. That you have moved in rescue. That you have saved us. Thank you, Jesus. That we can be saved this morning. Thank you that you have called us to be your children. And may we be the announcers of the good news. May we take this wonderful news of salvation and hope and life and peace and eternity. Uh, In Jesus Christ alone, may we take it into our world today. May the urgency and the love for our cities and our nation drive us to be relentless in speaking and announcing the wonderful news, the good news. Because today is the day of good news father may we be once again reminded of the good news once again reminded why the gospel is such wonderful news because we have been saved and we are yours and nothing can separate us from the love of god that is in jesus christ amen and amen